This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Some fans who keep track. Yeah, who are waiting. When are they going to drop number 289? <laughs> What's up? Well, it's dropping. It's good. It's How's good. fatherhood? Um, you know, tiring. It's got of. its downs and downs. It's got its downs and downs <laughs> and further downs. Yeah, no, it's look, we're in the clouds. We're in love. She's amazing. It's like you don't know how you hurt how your life existed before you you like life was meaningless before she she arrived and then at the same time you wanna you wanna just like jump off a cliff sometimes it's it's insanity you know when you're sleep sleep deprivation like I don't have you ever been sleep deprived like No. You ever gone like 24, 48 no. hours without sleeping, something like that? Not only that I weren't, you remember in film school, you had films, uh, like student projects that took place at night and student projects that took place by day and you would go help your friends in the projects. So yeah. I ob- obtained from... Re- ref- abstained. Abstained or refra- refrained? From, refrained. Uh, uh, refrained. From uh, doing... helping friends who made movies that took place during the night because out of principle yeah i know i i couldn't i couldn't handle it so i tried to refrain from helping my daughter at night but it didn't work yeah she, like she'll get up she'll, i mean you don't go 48 hours without any sleep but like what will happen is you'll be on i don't know three or four hours of sleep and then she'll wake up want obviously want food you feed her and sometimes she just doesn't go back to sleep so every like 20 minutes she'll start crying for some reason she's got gas or whatever and so you can go like 24 30 hours on like three four hours of sleep and then you get to the next night right so you're like on two three hours you get to the next night and if that night is tough then you're really Then you're really going crazy but what's the deal with the you told me like about the kindergarten situation in Tel Aviv Wow <laughs> impossible man it's it's more difficult to find her a spot for kids in kindergarten than it is to like I don't know get your kid into an Ivy League school I feel like it's <laughs> have you thought about an Eritrean maybe an Eritrean kindergarten for We did think about that. No space. No space. <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to blackface her every morning. <laughs> no, you could just get like a permanent tattoo and, you know, you wouldn't have to do it every day. Yeah. There are ways around it. Yeah. But no, we, it's crazy, man. The, the waiting lists are insane. The prices are insane. So you finally do find a place and it's, 
I mean, rent has gone up like crazy too. So it's no longer true, but it's right now kindergarten is the price of what like a two bedroom apartment was in, in the neighborhood we're living in. A small two bedroom apartment. That's what it costs to put Daniela in like three years ago. Yeah. Right. So right now those apartments are maybe 20% higher, 25% higher, but right now it costs about that much to put her in kindergarten for a month which is what four thousand five thousand four and a half thousand five thousand shackles okay month. and you, even if you wanted to you can't find places in those kindergartens basically so we finally found a place and they require a down payment right like and we're we're putting her in for october right so they require a down payment, but we rush to put down the down payment just not to miss this spot yeah. because God forbid, you know, someone else will, will catch it and we'll have to homeschool Daniela or just, you know, raise her on the streets. I think that honestly, I tried to try to get Sharon in on that idea. I think she'd be better. I think it makes for a, a better kid if they're neglected a little bit. Like you want a small amount of abuse, right? You don't want, oh my God. want her to grow up cushion, right? You want to like, to, you want to, like I skip every third meal. I don't give her, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> then she'll In grow her up case, it's like ten, every 10th meal. Every 10th meal. In a day. No, every, every third meal. Mm. Like... One meal, yes, one meal, yes, and then one meal, no. She'll get the next one. Yeah. You know, she needs to learn to live on an empty stomach. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, a, it's, it's safe to say that you're a good example of what happens when bad education uh, <laughs> well, is someone's gotta, Someone's got to serve as an example. Yeah, someone needs to break the circle of, of, of evil. Someone needs to break the glass ceiling. You know what I mean? But okay, yeah, so, no, it's so difficult, but we're getting uh, through it and we are. You we did are, find a kindergarten at the end. Yeah, we did. Like, what should, like, you told me people like sign up their kids just after conception. They sign. Yeah, they sign like, up as like before they have sex, before they stop the contraceptive before the woman stops birth control, they first find a kindergarten. Maybe you should, you should book your grandchild's place right now. First, too late. Yeah. 25 years from now. Not a bad idea. <laughs> probably not a bad idea. No, it's just craziness. It's craziness. And I think part of the reason is, of course, we always circle back to regulation and government intervention because, you know, we have to. Yeah. The reason is that the government really cracks down on kindergarten. Like, Isn't it like the least one of the least? Uh, uh, they're always begging for more and more regulation. Dumb parents yeah. who think that the government is going to stop, um, like uh, um, kindergartners, not kindergartners, no, the the people who work, teachers at kindergartens, um, that they're going to stop because there's always cases of abuse, right? Where yeah. the, there's kindergarten teachers who who abuse the kids and parents think that somehow the government's going to come in and solve that. But the truth is that they 
from what I've been hearing from a lot of parents is that it's not easy. Right now, Tel Aviv is, is starting this plan. You sent it to me, right? That they're starting this plan to open a bunch of yeah. kindergartens, but it's not easy to open one. It's not simple. And a lot of the times you'll get a, a pakach, like a city, uh, whatever. Yeah, inspector. Inspector will come down and just shut down the gun. It happened to, like I've talked to like three or four parents from around the country who, it's happened to them where the yeah. inspector of co has come, shut down the gun, or they've heard of a gun that it's happened at. Um, and it's crazy because then all those parents find themselves without one. Right now, also, there's the, the shortage of staff following COVID. Yeah. And it's just craziness. It's insane. But, you know, that's the situation. Okay. Okay. What else? So, what What's else, up? man? What else? Have you read Bennett's Igeret? How, how would you translate Igeret? Like yeah, a letter. Like manifesto? No. Igeret is a letter. It's a fancy word for a letter. But it's basically his manifesto, right? Yeah. He sat yeah. in a room and wrote a letter about what it means to 28 be 28 pages. Yeah, and he published it uh, two days ago, just before the holidays. Did you read it? I read it. I read it. Um, it's look, it's, 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 I feel like I'm like, I'm the audience for people like me, right? Are the audience for, for this letter, right? Like it's like, not going to convince anybody. Sorry. Like you're saying, it's not going to convince anybody to change their mind. It's just no, of... no. I mean, people not people like me in actual, but people like in my age group, okay, um, background. What, um, what, what is what is like the basic tenets of the document? Like so what basically, are, what he says in the in the document, he he again repeats on why he had no choice. No, uh, he had, he found himself in a situation where there weren't good choices, right? So he tried, he, he had to take upon himself the responsibility to take a, a tough choice, which is to form this government, because all the other alternatives were far worse. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he says how good this government is. He half of it is about its accomplishments, which some of them are unarguable, and we'll talk about it later, uh, especially in the economic um, field. And then the other half is like scaring you that of BB, basically scaring you of BB. Look, it's it's uh, hard to believe someone when they say I made the I made the tough decision like i i picked i made the hard choice because the other alternatives were worse when the hard choice that they were forced to make resulted in them becoming prime minister you know like yeah. it's hard to believe that like that, that doesn't sound like such a tough choice yeah that's i also tweeted about it and i said some more or less something in the same words because what he says there is that like he says how good his par partners are from like Lapid and Meretz and Avoda, how good this government is. So that's the hole in his story. Like if, if it's such a good government and such good people, and if really the alternative of another election was so bad, 
why did you accept becoming the prime minister? Why not supporting Lapid and let him become the prime minister? Because he, because he also says in the letter, he says, yes, it's not good that such a small party like mine gets the prime minister office. Like it should have been a role for a bigger party. So I'm like, okay, so why didn't you let Lapid be the prime minister? Why? Like, why didn't you become like the Minister of Defense or of uh, Foreign Affairs or whatever? And, you know, it's... it's... So, but that's the thing. He, he plays a very, a very convincing, manipulative game. He says, well, if I would have given Lapid the premiership, then I would have even forfeited more to the left, right? Because Lapid is supposedly farther left or, or, or closer to the center, at least, yeah. than, than Bennett. So he says, I retained some of the rightness and conservative va- like value of this government by, by saying, by, by, you know, me being prime minister. It's, it's sacrificing, this, making the, the great sacrifice. It's this becoming... disingenuous, like dishonest. Look, let's start with like what? Self-sacrifice for the greater good but it's it's not even self-sacrifice it's it's but that's what it right it's it's like personal gain and personal uh uh pro- like promotion self-promotion mm-hmm. under the guise of self-sacrifice under the guise of falling on the sword for the sake of the country which is the most despicable because one self-sacrifice is already despicable it's already a disgusting thing sacrificing yourself like, I don't want a politician who sacrifices themselves. I vote for you because I want you to do what you said you're going to do for me, not because you say you're going to give up on what you do. You said you're going to do for me. So that's already disgusting. And second, it's dishonest because it's under the guise of self-sacrifice, but you're not actually doing it. You're doing it for the worst of reasons, which is just selfish personal gain. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's fair to say, he says it in the letter and it's true, like he was, he supported BB after the last elections for prime minister. Okay, he di- he didn't boycott BB, right? So the 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 fact that BB didn't get sixty one, it's not, it's mostly not Bennett's fault, right? It's the fault. Yeah, but he he entertained the other team. He right? He started sending. Maybe, but in the moment of truth. He, he signed, like, after the elections, when you need to sign for who's your candidate, he did sign with Bibi, which you can't say about Gidon Saar or Lieberman. Of course. No, no, of course. No, and... because our listeners who remember, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so no, he, he did, but, but in the end, when, when Bibi's basically, to give you guys a refresher, right, after the elections, the president, this, I mean, one of the candidates, generally the person with the most votes, gets the task of forming a coalition and he has a certain amount of time for it. And then if he fails, the mandate goes back to the president and the president decides on another person. And then finally, there's a period where anybody can form a government. Yeah. And what happened is uh, those two periods passed and Bennett formed the government in the third period, right? If I'm not mistaken. No. He no, formed no. it in the second? Yeah, in Lapid's... Uh... Okay. So he formed it in the second. But what I'm saying is towards the end of Bibi's uh, uh, um, allotted time to form a government, he started already entertaining, meaning if, if, if he would have been very clear cut, like th- there's no room for budging. You don't 
like especially not this much if it was if it was a question of like i don't know Gidon Sao forming a government with Bennett and Bibi not being prime minister but also being part of the government i don't know forming a right wing government that was led by someone else fine but the idea of entertaining a go a coalition that includes Lapid, who you promised you would not sit with, and that's supported by basically 50% left-wing parties, right? And a yeah. chunk of far left-wing and even Arab parties. Like the idea of inter even entertaining, it's just ridiculous. Like, so great, you didn't, you didn't immediate, like, it's like saying, I don't know, I didn't, uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I mean, stabbed you in the back, but not immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't stab you right at the beginning. I let other people stab you in the back first, and then I started stabbing. Yeah. 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 But it's what, pretty what, bad. What, what, and then he gets. What drives like, me insane is that, like, and I don't know if we've talked about this before because I've had tons of conversations with people about this. And what drives me insane about the whole situation with Bennett is that it is, it's the epitome of what everybody in Israel complains about politics. And now no one, like when they're faced with this, like with this blatant display of, of uh, deceit and manipulation and like you know like the what is what's the word that, that like in actuality what, the the actual like implementation of of political opportunism and uh, yeah it's it's like the machiavellian type of pol politician that everybody complains about in israel everybody always talks about politicians are just liars own, they're all liars they're all liars yeah exactly they're all liars they're all after their own like they're after money they're all they're all corrupt that's the word corruption yeah. they're always talking about corruption and what is corruption corruption is like is saying one thing but actually doing another right yeah like not staying true to to like pure and honest goals yeah and this is the most blatant example i can think of I, you know, I'm even, to, even the left, even the left voters, the left wing voters, like, it's fine, you can be happy with the result. But can we at least agree that what Bennett did is the most despicable thing a politician has done in the last, I don't know, as far as I can remember, I mean, he literally told his voters, like one thing, and he did the exact opposite. It's not, and it's, and everybody says, Oh, what BB didn't lie. But it's not, it's not a small part of his campaign or, or even like a significant part of his campaign. It is the definition of who he is. I am a right winger. I am going to support or form a government with right wing politicians that has conservative values. And then you go out and sit with Meretz, Avodah, like the Labour Party. Meretz, and Mansour Abbas. And Mansour Abbas, like it's unheard of. And people can't even admit that can't even say okay you know what that's just yeah i'm happy because bb's gone but it's true it happened in a despicable way like in my eyes it's just i don't understand how people aren't up in arms like it's despicable it's just despicable he's he should be he, should be, he should be banished and and the, there's all this talk about like how could people not let him into a 
right? There was the whole story with he wasn't allowed into, or he was, he was uh, shouted out of his synagogue, right? Mm -hmm. And people were appalled by that. They were appalled by the fact that the man was it like people in his community were upset with him and they pushed him out of his synagogue, not physically, but they shouted him out of his synagogue. Like, he promised a bunch of people that he would do something and then he lied to them, stabbed them in the back and went the other way. And now you're appalled by the fact that the people are upset. Yep. He shouldn't yeah. be able to show his face anywhere, honestly. I don't understand why people are so apologetic about it. Right? Um, yes. I think it has been done before in Israeli politics many times. Right, like this type of thing. What maybe with the you had the the Achdut government in the eighties, you know, Peres and the and uh, and Shamir. Like you, you had. That's what Meretz also sat in that government, right? No, or no. Uh, I don't think Meretz existed back then, but uh, but it was a, a unity government, the first unity government in the history of Israel. For example, okay, and you had you had many like it's. I think there's lo lots of examples from from the past, um, and Israelis are kind of used to it. I feel. I don't Just, think if you have to go all the way back to the '80s, there's not tons of examples. I think there are more. You can find more examples. I'm sure. I'm sure you I could. Mean, but um, it, it's also it's so ironic. He sits at the head of a of a, of a party called Right wing yeah right word right word which like is a play on i mean it's not really a play on words it's literally just we're right wing yamina yeah um but they did manage to do some like really crazy things mainly in economy like that's the it's the big of like, that it's kind of like fruit of the poison tree but what what yeah. have they done um, this week, uh, a reform they, uh, you know, a reform that conservatives in Israel, you know, had wet dreams about it for, I don't know, decades or, um, which has to do with the, there's a thing in Israel called Machon Hatkanim. Okay, I don't know in English how you how you say it. Um, like every product has a standard. There's standardization for products. So the idea is the state protects you from evil manufacturers of goods. And basically anything you can buy is being looked upon by the government before they let you sell it. Um, yeah. And in Europe, in the US, you have some standards. And in Israel, um, there's this huge organization, the standardization organization um and it was very corrupt organization organization yeah it was very corrupt and basically what they did was if a product is approved by in europe or in the us that's not enough for the israeli standard so they had to they had to check it for themselves so if you want to import a toy a robot toy for example that's sold in europe you need to basically give those corrupt motherfuckers right you need to pay them to give you a license so they check the, the ro robot so it won't kill babies basically <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so that's an example, but that goes for everything. Food, medicine, anything. Pipes. Like, like it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a cesspile of, 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 cesspile. of, cor of, of corruption yeah um in the in the israeli economy and you couldn't do anything about it so finally the this government they they slowly but surely they're killing this this institution by saying hey it's so simple right like if it's approved in europe or the us it, we don't need to go through it again like it's stupid and just a few days ago um the first implementation stage of the reform um entered uh circulation and they stopped the in, in the in, on the first of june like a huge endless list i can get, read you the list actually it's it's quite uh entertaining um they stopped regulate regulating it and this means it will it will translate to a huge price reductions in the upcoming months and years right yeah, no, absolutely. I'm all for cutting back on regulation. And I think that it's it's probably a step in the right direction. And they're, and they're privatizing the post office. Yeah. Did you read about it? I mean, hasn't that been something that's supposedly in the works for years? Yeah, but nobody had the the, the political guts to to implement it. Is it actually happening? Yeah, it's happening. Uh it is happening. So here's the list. Uh, cement, lamps, uh, roof tiles. So all those things, guys, were were regulated by this standardization office. Okay, matches, <laughs> ceramics, condoms, rubber gloves, pressure, uh, pressure uh, condoms. Condoms, yeah. All of a sudden, you're gonna see a spike in uh, births. Now. No, I'm just thinking how there was a special department in the Mahonat Kanim where they tested condoms, right? <laughs> they're, they're the most bummed. Uh, helmets for bikes, toys, baby things like baby beds, uh, it, uh, baby, um, when you change a diaper, you have this table for changing diapers. So the tables for changing diapers. Okay. Well, <laughs> what do you want, man? But you want just babies to fall through the tables? <laughs> Electricity stuff, wheelchairs, needles, lighters, ski equipment. Like it's it's a, it's an endless list. Ultrasound, defibrillators. Tools for you know, the funny thing is, is it's the whole idea of like centralized, like planned economy, right? Or planned government. It's like, you know, that there's just a bunch of idiots, like, because there's no, like, who is the expert at making a lighter? The lighter company, right? <laughs> they, they spent tons of money on trying to manufacture a good lighter and, you know, one that works that they can sell that's dependable that people trust. And so they'll come back and buy more lighters. And this, there's just this organization in the government. Clerks, a bunch of that, clerks. That supposedly is an expert at everything. They know how to make the perfect lighter and how to make perfect cement. <laughs> they know exactly what it means. Which makes you think, why won't they start a company that produces everything? Yeah. Company of everything. Yeah. Well, the, the, the <laughs> socialist dream. And like they they know exactly what goes into making a baby diaper changing table they know exactly <laughs> what to check for right 
And if they don't, then what's the fucking point of this place, right? So yeah, no, it's absolutely, it's great that these things are happening, but I, I still think that the damage done to the Israeli political system and the, and like the cultural damage done of, of just accepting, it's not, I don't even know if it's the damage done. It's just a, maybe it's just a, uh, like a side effect of where we are culturally, the fact that people are willing to contain and accept and tolerate like such deception and such, such dishonest backstabbing is yeah. to me just baffling. It's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the, next week, there's a huge challenge for the government. Uh, every week that they survive is a miracle because they, they lost their majority at the Knesset and so it was 60-60, and then the 60th member of the coalition for Meretz Party, a member of Knesset called Zoabi, an Arab-Israeli member of Knesset, uh, but for Meretz Party, not from the Arab joint list. She resigned. She, yeah, she, she resigned from the coalition, then she was convinced by, by bribery, basically. They bribed her into coming back but she's not really back like she's still nobody knows what she's gonna do next um and apparently this is hilarious um okay this is this is insane guys so listen to this every friday so when we conquered uh, uh Samaria, okay we conquered but we never annexed it right so that required um, like lo lots of uh, law geeks to come together and come up with legal solutions to legal problems because you had citizens in um, territories that were conquered but never annexed. So what do you do about that? So they came up with a set of laws, okay? especially for that problem that that basically made life in Judea and Samaria possible for Israelis, for Israeli citizens, uh, some call them settlers. And those set of laws are extended every five years. Um, and it's amazing because Israelis don't know about, even I don't really like, you know, you suppose there's something there, but it's very rare that you actually think about the legal structure that makes our uh, this this um, progatorium in Judea and Samaria possible, right? Because like the problem is we never annexed. Uh, the, the, this, that's the problem. Because if we annexed it, every, like we did in Golan Heights, it would be easier. Yeah, so, it would be another part of the country. There's a whole infra legal infrastructure. And now, um, and every five years, you need to extend it again and again and again and so they did from 67 and now on monday uh, and, and in the end of june um the the point of extension is due and for the first time since 67 we have a coalition that doesn't like uh, without the zionist majority and practically a coalition that can't approve this set of laws so if the coalition fails to pass those laws, um, a very unique situation will take place in, in Judea and Samaria. Like within 
one month within a moment from when when those laws expire all because of a sudden it becomes a safe haven for it becomes, it becomes like um maybe a panama city also. maybe a tax haven first of all a tax haven a crime haven all the non-israeli um prisoners terrorist prisoners from judean samaria who sit in israeli jails which are like 3500 people you'll have to release them because you won't have a legal way to to hold because they're not citizens right so that that law is what enables you to hold them in israeli prisons so if the, the law expires you need to hold them in jails in judea and samaria and there aren't jails in judea and samaria there's one right so you'll have to let everyone go uh, great <laughs> you the the people the israeli who, the israelis who live in judea and samaria probably won't be able to vote in the elections okay like everything like it'll be like in ghostbusters 2 i think where they lose control and all the ghosts are roaming the city and, and raising havoc right? yeah but it'll be legal mayhem it, it won't necessarily i mean first of all it's not like they're going to open the doors to the prisons and just let these prisoners out right it'll be like there'll be a series of appeals to get these prisoners out and maybe the courts won't be able to uphold all the sentences. they're not just going to go open the door and let everybody out but or they'll try and make some makeshift prison in the in judea and samaria and but but technically it'll be this like technically it'll be this very legal gray area that'll cause a lot of havoc yeah and to me it's pretty entertaining because like and the, here's the thing so so the politicians like uh uh Gidon Saar and Bennett they want the Likud to vote with the coalition and yeah to save but this the is the problem from the beginning that they want to basically have a coalition that includes Bibi without having a coalition that includes Bibi yeah so they want yeah they want the Likud and they want all the voting power of the Likud while having a coalition that is technically viable only thanks to Arab and left-wing parties, but they want to be able to vote right. And yeah. this is exactly what I'm saying. They're bearing, they're, they're bearing the fruits of their, of their sins, right? Yeah, they're, it's fun to watch. It's and, fun to watch. They're, they're begging, the they're like saying, where's the responsibility of the Likud? They will let the law expire. It'll be on their, on their, no, no, they're opposite. They the, don't owe you anything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. A coalition to, to topple the government. And they're, they're actually, as opposed to you, Bennett, doing their job, right? Their job as, as their, as representatives of their constituency who voted them in to lead a government based on the values that they, represented in the camp in their campaigns right their obligation to their constituency is to right now since they're not in power to try to get into power and how do they get into power is topple the government yeah. right um but in israel toppling the government from the opposition is seen as this sort of rebellious act like 
it's almost like you actually had armed rebellion, right? That's that's how it's seen. The topple, unless the right wing is in government, but it's like, how dare you topple the government? We need the government. What are we going to do about the state budget? How are we going to how are we going to continue living for another year if we don't have a government that's functioning? How could you, how dare you try and topple the government? But it's their job, and I think this is. I agree. It's a shit show. And this is this is what's this is the product of of this of Bennett's deception, and that's why I'm not sure it's worth. Yeah, the you know cutting down regulation is great, and I'm happy at least that it's not all shit, but I'm not sure it's worth it. Like it's better to have a stable government that's based on honest, you know, that's based on honesty and based yeah. on like truth and not. There's also all kinds of weird things where. I mean, it's not so weird that the Likud would introduce such a law, but they introduced the law of uh, of uh, the Palestinian flags on academic campuses, and it was passed, right? Yeah. And I think the main reason they introduced that was to try and topple, was to try and show that the the coalition isn't actually coalesced yeah. around any kind of ideology that they that it'll break them up. But to me, it's it's also it's another example of like crappy non-liberal ideology that's finding its way into israeli legislation because of this messed up situation yeah there's for the listeners there's a law that was passed that palestinian flags or any flags of enemy states cannot be waved on on academic it only passed on the kriatrom it didn't really pass yeah first the first uh reading of the law you need three readings of a law in order for it to actually yeah legislated but still it's it's another example of how israeli society and law is going to this very i don't know anti-liberal place like like that's going to solve anything stopping people from waving a palestinian flag on campuses yeah it will suddenly become zionists yeah uh anyway so the so gidon Saar basically said that in if in tomorrow they should uh, vote on it on the five-year extension. That so would be another interesting turn of events. Yeah, you think it'll you think it'll bring it bring down the government? No, it could. I think it could. I think it could, because if the government falls, then you don't need to extend the law. It automatically extends itself until the next coalition is formed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if they can't pass it, and they need to pass it now, because as we said, you, t- you need three calls to, to legislate. So it takes time. So they basically need to pass it this week, the first call, in order for it to be legislated by, by the end of, of the month. The, the end of June is the deadline? 30 June. Wow. Then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> it'll, be like, it'll be like an epi- it'll be like a, like a sequel of The Purge. You know, just there's there's one night. You know that movie where there's one night that every you can commit crimes. No, this shitty movie that's based on that's based on this idea that there's like this society has evolved to a point where one day a year you're allowed to commit any crime you want, from murder to petty theft, right? Uh huh. And so people have like the rich have developed these like panic rooms these safe rooms in their houses where they go into them at uh, at midnight on the night of and then come out 24 hours later because just criminal everybody like your next door neighbor all of a all of a sudden becomes this this like 
uncontrollable murderous like heathen and starts killing people so it'll be like that in the west bank (laughs) overnight people start murdering each other yeah but i'll move there because it'll be a tax haven so (laughs) yeah definitely it'll be worth it yeah actually it would be um what else so what else everyone Um, is talking on twitter everyone's talking about uh real estate prices right now in israel that's like the main conversation everyone's crying about the rent like the whole twitter is filled with people telling stories about how their landlord just raised the rent 50 percent or something like that or 25 percent um, and we can't do it any longer. We had enough. We need rent control, rent control, rent control. Um, yeah. It's very annoying. Very it annoying. Is. It is, especially the whole rent control. Like, I, I agree with the sentiment that, that the real estate market is, is subject to undue pressures or is subject to to forces that you know it could do without um but i don't think that those forces are landlords that's where that's just about as far as our agreement goes i think yeah. with, with most left-wing or left-leaning people who talk about real estate like the government here there's a serious problem with the fact that there aren't enough not enough lands or 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 um released or or approved for building there's tons of like the government in israel holds all of land owns all of the land first of all but also forget the fact that they own all the land i mean you know the apartment that that um that we live in right now is owned by my landlords at least it's an apartment that 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 can be bought right that can be owned and there's tons of land that's just not approved for building yeah and it's just sitting there yeah and it's like there you could approve like on the way to Sholan's parents we passed by on route two which is you know prime real estate like it's uh, right on the not right on the beach but about i don't know seven minute drive from the beach right in natanya like on the coastal region r- direct access to the highway so it it would be prime prime real estate there's about i don't know like four or five acres of land that is just sitting there they have this they have this like they just built the connection to the highway like uh, there's a bridge over the highway that exits there and they just built before there was this little route this little path this little road that went through that field it was yeah. like a makeshift road, but there's like four acres there of just empty land in the Tanya that you could easily build something. Tomorrow. Like, I don't know, 2000. Yeah. And with it, the thing that people don't understand is that the second you start building, the second you break ground, we've talked about it, like it takes two, three years. Yeah. There could be by 2025, another 2000 units, another 2000 apartments in that area right and what are we waiting for like why not yeah because uh, you need uh, the, the experts to plan the neighborhood exactly it's an art yeah. a neighborhood you can't just build neighborhoods what if what if we need offices there 
Well, yeah, you need offices, you need, uh, you need uh, mixed use, uh, you need green uh, parks. It'll be mayhem. Um, somebody needs to make sure that you do it right. You can't yeah. just build things. Uh, it's just ridiculous. So I agree that like we should let, we should, we, there should yeah, be definitely. some reform. There should be some reform in the real estate market that will introduce competition and will make it more competitive and might even ease prices, even though that I think the general trend of prices going up in the real estate market is like, that is the middle class, right? The, like real estate is the investment of the middle class, right? You buy, that's what everybody hopes to be in their late twenties, early thirties, forties is a homeowner. They want to buy a home and they want that home to appreciate in value. Like you don't yeah. want prices to go down. You don't want prices to all of a sudden drop. Then you're in a recession or a depression and life sucks. Like you don't want to be in that situation. So the whole idea that like we need to get prices to go down, like, no, you don't want to live in that reality. You really don't. Yeah. So you want prices to go up, but you want maybe them to go up at a slower rate or to be more stable, right? Not to yeah. increase 20% a year. And to have options, to have options. Yeah have good options but um yeah i just read uh, somebody somebody tweeted that i didn't know that uh, for example in tel aviv there's the tikva neighborhood not far from where i live and it's a historic neighborhood of the yemenites um in tel aviv uh, and it is beautiful like it's 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 an event sedek like like only poor um <laughs> And apparently, uh, the the municipality um, declared that the whole neighborhood is a neighborhood for conservation, and they won't let uh, anyone ever build towers there. Basically, conservation. Like, how old is the Tikva neighborhood? It's like seventy years old. Yeah, there's not a building there that is worth preserving. No, it is beautiful, right? No, I wish, I wish, like... I wish you could keep it like it is. And but, what can you do? I mean, we love Nevetzedek, we love uh, Rothschild, yeah, right? But you know, even Nevetzedek, like first of all. Nevetzedek is the first neighborhood that was built outside, I think, the ancient walls of uh, Yafel, right? It was yeah. built in like 1886. So it's got some historic value. But but even there, like, for, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with government overreaching and saying you can't, we have to preserve this for historic reasons. But let's say that you were to do it for 5% of the city or 10% of the city. Okay, but like to just take a whole neighborhood like Hatikva, which honestly I don't really. I mean, it's not yeah. like there's there's they're all like shitty old Israeli Soviet style like right. No, 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 not, like, not at all, not at all. No, no, no. They have stuff like like Nevetzedek, which is like yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have like modernist buildings there, like uh, that are beautiful. Some of them, not all of them, um, but like. Why? But 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 people need apartments to live in. But the municipality doesn't wanna doesn't wanna build more high rises. Basically, not there. They do want to build it in other places, but but it takes so much time. 
it's just uh i'm all for localizing it so you know let let the people in hatikva the owners yeah. of apartments in hatikva decide if yeah. you know let the people who own hatikva decide if they want to preserve it as is or make bank on the fact that they you know make a deal with the location yeah yeah maybe yeah let them decide and let them decide per building yeah yeah um yeah one of the problem is that the landowners at Atikva, many of them are those the same yemenites from the 50s the 60s the, the 40s um who aren't strong politically like landowners in other parts of the city yeah so it's easier to to screw them basically it's just ridiculous man it's absolutely ridiculous there. But also the people, the uh, uh, all day I'm I'm arguing with people on Twitter who like yeah rent control yeah we the state needs to do something about it, uh, and I'm like it's 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 always we can't you can't buy an apartment in Israel this is uh, this is no it, it's 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 those mantras are very yeah. annoying to me. Like, it's, it's not true. Yes, the prices are high. Yes. But like I always say, why don't you go to Batyam? Why don't you move to Batyam? Or Hulon. Or Hulon. Or uh, Lod. Or Haifa. I'm like, and I got into Twitter arguments with people like you show them facts and it doesn't mean anything. Like, I actually went to the Israeli Zillow. Okay, and I showed like someone tweeted like you can't find an apartment in Hatikva for less than six thousand shekels. I'm like, what? I go to Israeli Zillow and I put like the parameters and I show here. Now you can find like forty places in Hatikva for rent. No, those are probably shitty places. What? All right. <laughs> below my standards. Yeah. Like, what yeah, are your standards? Like, apartments that are above six thousand. It's like, well, then of course you can't find an apartment that's yeah. Above like, 6, you know, I go, I go, I went to to Batyam. I put the parameters. I found like four hundred apartments for rent. I show him a picture. Look, you have four hundred apartments in in Batyam. But then, then they'll come back and they'll say, but Batyam, I, you know, and then they and then they fall back on that argument that's. But I shouldn't have to leave Tel Aviv. Yeah, it's my basic right to choose to live in Tel Aviv. It's a basic human. <laughs> it's a basic my, human right. It's my basic right to live in the penthouse of yeah. the U buildings. And yeah, that, that's the exact life. argument I had today. So I, all day long, I'm just arguing with stupid people about that on Twitter. So today, I make the question: Who is the real stupid person? <laughs> Oh, I've seen exactly that tweet. Someone was tweeting like, uh, "I'm a teacher, and it's it's a basic right for me to live in a good neighborhood in a good city, right? Uh, what, what with good else, education. What else is a basic right? To earn <laughs> like to have to have food on the table, to have a car, a um, Tesla, to see a uh, movie." every once in a while like maybe once a week you know what three times a week yeah throw it out to Jafnon uh, in, in shabbat yeah Jafnon every shabbat Jafnon every shabbat that's a basic right it's a basic right i love people like like to 
right? They connect it with like a basic human need. And they think that because it's a basic human need, it's a basic right. Like people need to eat. So yeah. you have to eat to live. So eating is a basic human right. Yeah. No one should go without food. Yeah, but right? leaving, live, live, living close to your workplace is not even a basic human need. No, it's not. It's not. It's, yeah, it's a privilege. Second, the second you forfeit some ground, you forfeit all ground. Like, like everything is a basic human need if, right? If you decide that you need it. Yeah. So I don't know. So if it, I mean, it's all subjective. Food is a basic human need, but what do you need to live? I mean, you can give people, you know, potato soup and plain bread all their lives. They'll be maybe malnourished, but so is that the minimum or is the minimum, I don't know, a certain amount of protein per day, or is the minimum also include some sweets and dessert? Like what's the minimum? Or is it just yeah. an IV of like a certain nutritional value? Like, like what? Okay, so yeah, food is a basic need, but there's no, there's no line. So really, you don't have a right to fucking anything. You don't have a right to anything. You have a right to not be killed by someone else and for your shit not to be stolen. Now go make a life. Yeah, yeah. Super annoying. Super annoying. Yeah, but you know that's the country we live in. What yeah. can you do? So, so tell me about this abstract art uh, exhibit you went to. I want to, I think we'll have an interesting conversation about abstract art. For our listeners, Naor sent me a photo of some abstract art uh, installation. Anish Kapoor, guys. Uh, Ethan doesn't know who's Anish Kapoor. Anish Kapoor. Anish Kapoor. Um, he sent me this, 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 this uh, photo of Anish Kapoor's uh, exhibit in Italy that he saw. And, and I was like, am I supposed to care about this? And he claimed that it's, you know, uh, uh, just a fundamental part of my cult, you know, missing part of cultural education of my cultural education. And I yeah. should know. Who Brings us back to the beginning is. of the conversation. Yeah. And I should know who Anish Kapoop is and about his beautiful art. And so, you know, I looked him up and let's just say I wasn't impressed. <laughs> I was not impressed. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Can you explain abstract art to me? Explain to me Anish Kapoor. I mean, Anish Kapoor. Well, first of all, you can't put all abstract art in one. Like I also, there's some, some abstract art that I despise. Like you could literally there, put all good. abstract art in one bucket and it would be another piece of abstract art. You can literally do it. No, like his things, uh, I mean, you need to experience it because many of his things are actually mm, like there's a, there's an effect of the, of the size of the, of the pieces. So they're huge. They fill a room. So when you walk into that room that can't be explained by in a photo, right? You can't convey those, those emotions. Um, so, and also some of his art is living. So his art has technology in it. For example, one of his famous pieces is, is a cannon that he created, a cannon that every 30 minutes shoot, uh, this, uh, huge color paint goo thing to, into the room. And so the art piece changes every hour. 
um, and you there's whole thing about you standing there expecting for it to happen and you know those are things that you cannot convey in a photo um, also another thing like so for example uh, Anish Kapoor one of the cool things he did uh, he researched scientifically black okay the color of black and he came up with this special shade of black which is supposedly the blackest black that you can make you can that you can create okay so you can't see it in a photo but when you see it in front of you it's mesmerizing it's hard to explain but you stand in front of this of this it is so black that your mind doesn't doesn't understand what it's looking at it, lo it looks like you're looking at a hole in the wall right really or or or, or 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 a portal to another dimension but then you walk to the side and you see it's just a square but when you're in front of it it's like you're you you're, you you stare at the void itself like the abyss i don't know man okay and uh yeah and his i think he's great i think uh, um like if you if you guys if you can go to see an anish kapoor exhibition you should definitely do it you can't explain it art is about it's not about explaining like it's what it's it's about what it makes you feel no no i don't know i don't know if i think art is about making you feel stuff of course that's the whole point it's not like an uh, intellectual sure. it's not it's first and foremost an emotional experience like you can dissect it intellectually but it's an emotional experience there needs to be it's not just about making you feel anything i don't think, not I, don't anything think that's, I don't think that's excellent art i think excellent art is making you feel something towards a certain purpose or towards a certain insight or understanding or towards something deeper not just making you feel otherwise i don't know scaring the shit out of you would be art right like is it, is it art? i don't think so because being scared it's not really i don't know if it's an emotion of course it what fear is one of the most basic emotions but i i don't think i don't know i just yeah. don't see fear the value. The i'll tell you my problem is it's not that it's not art it's not that it's not art. I just don't understand the uh, allure or the um, like the 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 atmosphere around it, as if it's some kind of higher level of art. Then I don't know. See, people see that, and then they see um, <clears throat> Justin Bieber, and they're like, obviously, that is much more. And they do they do give it some kind of air of intellectuality, right? It's like there's in some level of intellectualism in, in Anish Kapoop and, and an Ninkampoop, an Ninkampoop, right? Sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. There's some kind of like, like he's an intellectual, right? His art is deep, while Justin Bieber's art is, and I'm just choosing Justin Bieber, but while you know in sync or lady gaga or uh, katie perry is 
superficial. And I think a lot, of those, I think a lot of those artists are superficial. But I think, <clears throat> to me, the stuff that I saw of Anish Kampoop is... Because you Google, like, in... But what is the meaning behind it? And it's, it's like very... you Google the Mona Lisa and, and uh, see it on your phone. What's the... It's a, it's a woman. Just a woman. What's the, what's the big deal? Or Van Gogh. Like Van Gogh, for example, I don't know if you ever saw like his shit, but uh, looking at it on a screen. Oh, I've seen Van Gogh's. And... There's the one on your, on your wall there behind you. Uh, yeah. The original. <laughs> original the Van original. Gogh. <laughs> no, I, um... But when you see it in real life, it's like it's mesmerizing because you see every movement of the of the brush and you see like the technique and you see the details and you see everything. So, right? So it's very easy to undermine it when you when you don't see it. I think that if you there went is. to the exhibition, uh, you would have uh, sing a different tune, in my opinion. I've been to these kind of, like I was at Ai Weiwei and right with like similar- And you don't like Ai Weiwei? Well. It's boring. (laughs) It's boring, man. It's not mesmerizing. It's not that, like, I like, I like Van Gogh and I like, uh, and I like impressionist art in general. I like- But why do you like it? Like, you know, it's okay. So it's a matter of taste. But, but I, yeah, but yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That the, the fact I'm that you don't sure. like a specific genre doesn't make it right. Doesn't it's make not it. about preference. It's about the fact that there's something that you can. There's like Van Gogh conveys more, I think, than. But even you. Van Gogh, I'm saying even you. Van Gogh, even Van Gogh, it's like I don't see the, the big deal. I don't see the big deal. I don't see it. I really don't. I don't. It's beautiful. There's maybe maybe something in the in the in the evolution of art itself. Of your brain. No, the evolution of art itself. The fact that impressionism, right, breaks it down into these tiny strokes and dots and almost pixels, right? Yeah, but that's historiography of uh, tech and techniques. It's interesting, but you don't need to to be well educated, I think, about the historiography and the and the technique and stuff like that and, and, the and a lot shading of shading technique to enjoy. And a lot of it you is just a need process. to open your heart. Your heart. A lot of it is a process that not one individual is really doing the create like the innovation, right? They're just kind of copying different styles. So impressionism is this whole movement and you see a bunch of different artists using the same style and technique. And so I'm not sure it's even that like, so they're good at painting a a scene. Like, okay. Like, especially today, like you look at how many talented people there, like, I think also, I mean, Van Gogh was, was, uh, he wasn't, I mean, he was kind of an exception in the sense that he was like dirt poor. Right. But um well, many of them were but, but i think he actually came from like uh he wasn't always dirt poor 
like I think he came from like a not well-to-do family, but he was they weren't like they weren't super poor. But I'm not sure. But what I'm saying is a lot of the, a lot of the artists of like the 17th, 18th, 19th century, like that you see that they were people of power, right? Like they like they were they had resources. But today you look around and artists are a dime a dozen. Like there are tons of they didn't really have talented. many resources, man. No. Like no, they were, in this, if they never had, they never had resources. No, like, I'm saying that in order, the people who painted were people who had access to a canvas and to paints. Because right? someone rich took them under their wing, basically. I don't know if it's always true, but even if someone did, then yeah, it's that one person that was picked out. But today I'm saying you look around and there are a dime a dozen like graphic art, people who know how to draw and paint well. You have so much more access to it that like, I don't know what's, what's no. really astounding today is making a story out of the art. Right. So that's why I think, I mean, like, I think literature generally is a step above painting in my view, in my humble opinion. Why there, <laughs> does it need to be in competition? I, I think it's like comparing oranges and then apples and, uh, you know, Everything needs to be on a hierarchy, man. <laughs> Everything needs to be. I need organization. I don't think you can compare one form of art to another. Like each one has its uniqueness. Maybe. You give Maybe. you give you give a paint you give some paint and a brush to George R. R. Martin, and it'll be disastrous. <laughs> right it'll be like look like a, your one month old it'll, kid drew. it'll probably look like a penis i mean all all evidence points to the fact that he will draw a penis right um, that's most like the most likely i don't outcome. know i don't know anyway we'll see i'll maybe i I'll think try. you're just uh, an emotionless yeah probably cold cynical robot not as no wonder you made a career of, out of robots. Your robots are not yourself. as refined and intellectual as you. I'm not, you know, I don't have the the nuanced taste to be able to see the blackness of the black. I'll tell you, like sincerely, the the thing it's all about, and it goes back to the the kindergarten discussion. It's all about education, right? So my parents took me forced me basically to go to museums since I could remember myself and I hated it, but now I'm grateful for it, right? That's what education is about. Like, like you need to educate your kid to understand the art. Otherwise he'll, he'll become an Eitan. <laughs> okay, dude. I went to museums. I was at the Louvre at age 12. I saw enough art in my lifetime to tell you that it's boring. And no one wants to go to a museum. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a reason for that. It's boring. Okay. okay. It's true. I mean, <laughs> paintings are nice on, on a wall. Yeah. On your desktop background. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nice to have a wallpaper, but you know, you can keep staring into the blackest of black buttholes and get lost in the blackness. I don't know what your obsession is with the blackness. 
The white people's burden. And cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, this is it for now. Thank you so much for, you sent us a bunch of uh, letters recently. It was fun to read what you thought. You can also comment about the art. Who's right about the art argument, Eitan or Noor? Um, let us know, send us some letters. Also, we're looking for sponsors. So if you have any idea for a sponsor, um, you know an organization or a business that would like, like for very fair price, um, be a sponsor and, you know, we have- Advertise. And be advertise to an Israeli, Israel loving audience from all around the world, mainly America, but also Israel. And now we're big in Germany, by the way. Like Berlin is our biggest city in the past month. Big in Berlin. So guys, if you're listening to us in Berlin, do hit us up. We want to know like, what's the deal? How come we're so big in Berlin? Uh, so guys, if you have an idea for, for a sponsor for us, uh, let us know. Um, yeah, and that is it. We'll that be with it. you soon again with some awesome guests. Thank you for tuning in. Love See you in the next one. Bye guys. Bye guys.